0: is brought to you by The Arc from Verve. If you want to improve your posture, The Arc has you covered. Developed by a physical therapist, designed by an engineer, made in the USA, The Arc is going to improve your posture and relieve that neck and back pain once and for all. What is up, guys? Welcome to the brand new Strength Doc Podcast, hosted by UpDoc Media, with me, Dr. John Russin. I want to get one thing clear. This is not going to be your average fitness podcast, and I'm sure as hell not your run-of-the-mill strength coach. Hey, guys. This brand-new episode of the Strength Doc Podcast hosted by UpDoc Media is brought to you by my 12-week functional hypertrophy training program. If you want to put on size, gain strength, and keep all of your athleticism and functionality Head over to www.drjohnrusson.com forward slash FHT program and see how FHT can fit into your training and your lifestyle. Guys, today we have another amazing episode ahead. We have Jason Shane with us who is a prominent physical therapist out on the west coast of Canada and talking to Jason, I think he is actually the most popular Canadian physical therapist on social media currently and he is a specialist among specialists so we're going to jump into a bunch of different topics here today that you are going to be very excited about we're going to try not to draw any lines in the sand but we're going to bring up some of these topics that definitely get people excited so Jason great to have you on I am ready to go how about you I am
1: definitely ready to go. I I feel as though our our pre-talk, we talked about so many good things, we had to stop so we could record something.
0: That's what always happens. We have these epic pre-recording talks with everybody that we bring on (laughs) and then sometimes I almost forget to hit the record button because I'm like so entrenched in the conversation. I'm I'm like taking notes on it and stuff.
1: I'm pretty sure we were 15 minutes in I think you said, okay, we should record some of this.
0: Well. For the people that don't know about you and your background, let's just give the Cliff Notes version, the 101 behind you, your expertise, and where you're currently at in your career.
1: Absolutely. So, I was a personal trainer for 13 years before becoming a physical therapist or physiotherapist, as we say here in Canada. And I didn't go back to school to become a physio until I was 35 years old. Wow. So, yeah, that was I had been out of school for I think close
0: to 16 years, I think. <laughs> Going on two decades, man.
1: Going on two decades. Oh man, when you say it that way. Um, so and I should I should say my wife was the one who inspired me to go back. I mean, I loved being a trainer, um, but I was always curious in the rehab realm what they did, if there was something beyond my scope of practice as a trainer. And that's a sort of a big buzz thing right now, talking about uh, the blurred lines between rehab and training that um, I would refer on, and I was really curious. And she encouraged me to go back to school. So back I went for a two years master's program, which is what it is up here in Canada. And I'm going on about four years now as a physiotherapist here in Canada.
0: That's an unbelievable story because, you know, this day and age, everyone is just expediting their educations, especially here in America. You know, we have these like three plus three programs getting DPTs out in six years, not the seven. And we have people just going through and some of the schools, you know, they're starting new classes in the spring, in the fall, and everyone's just being kicked into the workforce. But I think there is something advantageous to having life experience, to having movement experience and coaching experience before you get into the clinical setting and get into, you know, that top-end education and physical therapy? Would you think the same thing?
1: Completely. I mean, when it came to personal interactions and communications, I'd had years of experience of... You know, being on the floor, talking to my personal training clients, being able to carry on a conversation, being able to set goals with them, and even, uh, I mean, the business aspect, the quote-unquote dirty word sales aspect. I mean, people realize that personal training, there's an aspect of sales, but there's sales and physiotherapy as well. And I think Both the communication aspects and the sales aspects uh, very much helped me uh, in my physiotherapy career that I'm in now.
0: I think that's a great point, uh, both of those things that you mentioned, not only the sales process of bringing in a clientele or a patient load, but maintaining them, but also having the expertise just to be a human being that can communicate and communicate through the means of movement. Because... No matter what kind of credential you have at the end of your name, the way that you see and communicate movement to your patients or your clients, you know, that's going to be paramount in the kind of interaction that you have and the kind of results that you're able to generate, no matter if you're dealing with pain, no pain, dysfunction, non-dysfunctional, whatever.
1: Well said. One of my favorite ways I used to, I like to describe teaching and exercise, this is when I was a trainer and I also carried over to, as a physiotherapist is, is if my client or patient in front of me is unable to do the exercise because they're having difficulty with it, not due to pain or due to some, you know, pathoanatomical, anatomical, just they're having difficulty learning it. It's not their issue. It's that I need to do a different or better job teaching it to them. It's on me to make sure that they learn it. It's not on their quote unquote lack of motor skills.
0: That's important to understand, too, because many coaches out there, they think they can just cue the shit out of everyone (laughs) to the point where they're going to just be like this magic coach that can just recreate perfect movement patterns. Uh, But, I mean, as you probably saw in that 16 years as a trainer, there's just some things that you can't cue out of people. No,
1: no. And, you know, you, you learn to appreciate movement variability, right? You know, there do i mean do we want to get into is is there a perfect squat a perfect dumbbell bench press i mean there's definitely better than others but many people look different during the same movement it would be the easiest way to describe it i mean i you know knock on wood but in my you know 13 years as a personal trainer i didn't have any serious injuries with any of my clients performing any movements and they all had slight variations but you know you could see it's like why do people squat differently we both know that favorite <laughs> one you know uh, uh, Ryan DeBell there and it's there there's a reason why
0: there's a reason why yeah people move differently not only squat but all the big fun- fundamental movement patterns but there has to be like that neutral zone So it's like it doesn't have to be perfect, but it just can't be an outlier where it just looks like the worst thing you've ever seen. And it's like, oh, that person is going to get hurt. But there are people out there in the industry now, you know, in the academic sector that are saying absolutely the polar opposite of what I believe is that form doesn't matter. Loads don't matter. The pain science doesn't match up. But as you know, I was a strength coach before I went to PT school as well. And I can tell you. That form matters, especially when you're dealing with heavy loads, increased frequency, and increased volumes in the weight room.
1: Like Absolutely. And 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 you and I probably both saw it. I mean, I suspect you were probably lucky enough to not have, you know, your clients have any serious injuries either. But when there was a tweak or an issue, it was when they moved out of that neutral zone. And we're saying neutral zone, which I think is a very apt way to describe it, instead of saying perfect technique
0: right but you know i i can see where some of the academics are coming from kind of because you know you and i both believe in like the mcgill model right the perfect neutral spine (laughs) you know this thing is just beautiful that lumbar Uh, lordosis is awesome The thoracic kyphosis is right on point and you just keep that position no matter what you're doing throughout the day like that's not going to happen in real life. No, but no. that's where the neutral zone comes into play. Like, how much off of neutral, and everyone's neutral is going to be a little bit different, do we have to stay in order to keep healthy for the longevity of somebody's physicality and their career in training?
1: And I, I think that, you know, to some extent, we just minimize risk by keeping someone in a relatively safe zone. While they have either an extensive, uh, sorry, a, a large load or extensive reps, we're probably reducing their chance of injury.
0: Right. You know, s- switching points a little bit now. When you were training, were you using SMR techniques, foam rolling, the lacrosse ball, all of that in your routines uh, for your clients?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Uh, not a lot. You know, it's I was always dynamic warm up. Um, you know, I, 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 quite enjoy, uh, I've seen some of your SMR videos and quite enjoy them. And, you know, I think I've shared a few as well. I think I shared one, uh, a couple months back I think a peck one I may have shared. Um, but did I use foam rolling? I mean, I think that, I mean, man, we can get into foam rolling. Let, <laughs> let's, let's, let's keep it simple and say that if someone had an area that felt tight or a little off, Yeah, I might throw them on the foam roller for 30 seconds to a minute, and afterwards it probably feels better. But most of my warm up was lighter weights of the movements that they were going to perform. If someone was going to be doing, you know, shoulder press that day, they're probably warming up with, you know, not even the bar, they're probably warming up with a dowel. You know, if someone's going to be doing squatting that day, part of their warm up is going to be bodyweight squats or like a bottoms up, very light kettlebell. Like it, it I, I just, it always just made sense to me that if I wanted to prepare someone for exercising, I should get them to do the movements that we're going to do first at a far substantially lighter weight. That's how I approached it.
0: No, that makes perfect sense to me too. Um, something that we coined like two and a half years ago was a uh, ramp up scheming. So Ooh, like it's, that the uh, strategic implementation of multiple reps of like, quote unquote, warm up sets at oh. specific rep ranges, but also with specific movement velocities to try to elicit like a post activation potentiation effect before you got into your work sets. You know, that's getting a little bit technical. That sounds but...
1: way better than what I just said. But...
0: <laughs> I think the same idea. Yeah, it is. It is absolutely the same idea. But, you know, that's effective for functional movers that aren't dealing with pain that aren't dealing with any market movement deficits. But as soon as we kind of put on our clinician hats, you know, there is something to be said about objectifying somebody's movement deficit and trying to work with a couple different means of, you know, remediating that deficit by use of SMR, stretching, uh, dynamic warm-ups, you know, kind of throwing everything at the kitchen sink at it in a very collected manner in order to optimally gain what you're trying to do objectively. So, you know, something that I've written a little bit about recently is like a six-phase dynamic warm-up sequence, and the first phase is SMR work, including the foam roller, but It has to be for somebody that we objectify a dysfunction with. You know, your hip doesn't extend. Okay, boom. Then we can... Put a foam roller on your quads and that's just the first step in the process. But and you it, probably saw
1: the research on that, right? That you can actually, <laughs> you know, well, research on, I mean, but you you and I probably both read the same article that yeah. you can make a difference in hip extension by doing some foam rolling on your quads and how it happens, okay, we don't know, or you know, there's theories, but it happens.
0: This is very interesting. I, t- I talk to Andrew all the time, the author. Oh, of yes. Study. There we go. Yeah, and, uh,
1: I've messaged him too. Good guy.
0: He, he's a really, really smart guy. And yes. he was looking at hip extension moment off 30 seconds on the foam roller down the anterior surface of the quad, okay? Yes. But if you couple foam rolling with things like stretching, with things like corrective exercise, activation, foundational movement pattern development... Then it kind of opens everything back up. So it plays a role, a minor role, I will say, but some sort of role in optimal uh, coordination and motor pattern development. So people get caught up because they want yes or no. Like, do I spend 45 (laughs) minutes on the foam roller or do I just go right into a work set with 315 on my back Uh, for reps? Uh, Wow, It's not as easy as that.
1: And it's funny because that that's that's how the argument gets presented, and then you and I say, "Well, no, it's it, it's not that. It's it's not just one end of the spectrum or the other. It's and to some extent, I think you you yeah you use this word. Everyone is an N of one.
0: Yes, yes, it's true. And uh, truly, if you're a trainer, uh, I think you do have you do know that that exists. But if you're a clinician treating pain and dysfunction every single day and you see 8, 10, 12 people come through your door, and everyone's different, and you have to find a way to remediate that, you're going to know that N is truly equal to 1 in every yeah. case. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: It's it, that. That's, that's the interesting thing, you know. Uh, that's why it's, you know, I, I've talked to experienced clinicians, and they're so hesitant, or instructors, to create these treatment algorithms, because people don't fit into nice boxes, which is what those algorithms are.
0: Yeah, it's hard. Not everyone is gonna fit an academic research article. Not everyone's gonna fit um, a, a guru methodology. No. You have to know what exists and you, that's the reason why there are coaches, why there are physical therapists and rehab professionals, because we need to have the expertise to move left and move right of what is widely accepted to make sure that person is getting what they need, not what the general public or the general consensus is on what everyone needs.
1: Agree. And I got to tell you, I'm smiling now because you you and I read the same things. I mean, we're both thinking about Andrew's paper. You know, we're both you know we both follow McGill. I mean. I I think and yeah, maybe this is giving ourselves a pat on the back, but I think the more progressive coaches and rehab professionals out there are, are trying to stay up to date, right? You know, they're they're we're all we're all have the same goals is that we want to either get people out of pain or we want to improve people's performance without getting them injured.
0: Right. You know, the reason I brought up foam rolling was that I know you are a big advocate up there in Vancouver of functional dry needling. Yes. And when I look at, like, um, tone reduction in musculoskeletal movement dysfunction, I look at, you know, SMR, ART, dry needling. They're all kind of in the same grouping, right?
1: I would agree. I, I never put one above the other. I say whatever can... Change tone. I mean, I, I got, I got. A, we can talk about that in a bit. I got, I got into some uh, fun uh, Facebook uh, discussions about that. <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> Facebook discussions are never fun. <laughs> uh,
1: you know, I'm, I'm oh, trying man. to be a little PC, but I know I don't need to be PC on this podcast. Right. Uh, I, I was trying to keep it civil. That's for sure. Um, but that, whatever can change it. I mean, you know, I, I bet. I mean, we all kind of do it. We all. I think as clinicians and coaches, you know, use our gyms and our clinics as our own personal laboratories to some extent, and I bet you've seen people who've done SMR work and rolling and they've made a difference in tone, and then you've seen other people who it didn't work for them and right. needed something different. I won't say more aggressive, just something different.
0: Well, definitely putting a needle into somebody's body is more aggressive, right? Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> <laughs> okay, you called me on that. I was thinking about that. I'm like, I. Hate that. Yeah, fair enough. Well but said. I guess my question is: so you spent 16 years as a trainer. You use very little SMR, foam rolling, lacrosse yep. ball, all that stuff. And then, as you move into the clinical setting, what changed your mind on? you know going through the education for functional dry needling and, and really becoming a very very good clinician using that tool for tone reduction because if tone reduction wasn't a huge deal in close to 2 decades before like what made it a big deal when you turn clinician Yeah,
1: that's a that's a really good question. As you asked me that, I'm actually having to pause to think about it. Well, I, I can, <laughs> I'll give you a two-part answer. The first part, which is a short one, is I think my initial reason going into it was plain and simple, I wanted to save my hands as a clinician. Yes, yes. I mean, there's. uh, I'm sure you guys have uh, workers' compensation boards or something like that, but I remember a talk given to my physio class, and they said that it is almost it, that there is no argument on the part of the case of a workers' compensation board if a physical therapist comes in complaining of arthritis in their first MTP joint. It's almost it's like, oh yeah, that's, yeah. that's a very high incidence in physiotherapists because we use our thumbs. We dig in there.
0: And I thought, I don't want arthritis in my thumb when I'm in my 50s. <laughs> Oh, I, I agree so much on that point because you know I'm schooled in art. You know, oh, I there have been for a long, long time.
1: <laughs> Thumbs like, of steel. You-
0: Back when they said, you know, the manipulation of scar tissue, you know, they've changed their stance a little bit Have since they? then. Oh, yes, we, maybe slightly. We should,
1: maybe we shouldn't get into that.
0: <laughs> we'll get into that too a little bit. But okay. I remember sitting in as like a novice clinician because when I came out of school, I literally put every dime that I had to continue in education. So I, well, I was t- busy every John, weekend. John, I was like, taking
1: ART would take. A substantial amount of your dimes.
0: Oh yeah. And I I took multiple courses in a matter of about eight months. So I remember sitting in that first course and it was in San Diego, California, and you know, Dr. Michael Leahy, who's a brilliant practitioner, was teaching this course, which is awesome. You know, you want to learn it from the guy that invented it. For sure. And you know, within 45 minutes of like this three-day course, he was like, okay, you know, this will not hurt your hands for the long term. You will not have any hand problems if you do it correctly. <laughs> and I remember two days later, it only took two days, my thumb was <laughs> killing me. Oh, God. And, I, you know, I have big hands. Like I'm a pretty strong guy and my yep. tension was on point. Yeah. But after like eight-hour days, two days in a row, Yeah. my hands were killing me. Oh, so God. then I go and transition it into my practice, and at the time I was working with MLB and NFL guys that oh, were like 300 goodness. pounds, right? Oh, my God. So trying to like single-hand tension people, moving it with the opposite hand. I had I had a time where I couldn't work for a couple days just because I took such a beating when we had all the offseason NFL guys in. Wow. And I just remember thinking exactly what you were thinking. I was like, "How long can I do this for?" And it's almost <laughs> like a, it's almost like I was using it as a prescription as opposed to like a treatment method oh, because God. I was using it so sparingly um, yes. when it came down to when I needed to treat multiple people in a day, which is what we do as clinicians. So. Of course. Oh, so as soon as dry needling kind of gained its popularity, it really just struck me as a way to not only take pressure off of a clinician's hands, but somehow a way to gain range of motion back, gain um, some quote-unquote flexibility back in some tight tissues yep. by other means. And so yeah,
1: and and what you said there actually, because I think. You're, you're familiar with core, obviously, because yes, they're functional yes. dry needling. They're three, unless they've changed it in the last year, their three main tenets of or goals of what the functional dry needling can accomplish is one, it can reduce pain, two, it can improve range of motion, and three, it can improve function. So I don't know if I had those three ideas so clear in my head before I took it, But after, those are the three things that always go through my head. And I could expound on numerous case studies or examples where I've seen any one of those three or a combination of them happen when I've done dry needling on a patient.
0: Right. Now, before we move forward on this, just so everyone's on the same page, can you just give a quick and dirty definition of functional dry needling? And uh, just so the coaches that may not have had this done before or there not familiar with this technique so everyone's on the same point for
1: sure so uh functional dry needling is you know that's specific to a company by the name of kinetocore and their idea behind the functional aspect of it is uh they used to which i'm not sure they anymore but they used to do use the top tier 7 SFMA movements yeah. as the pre-post screen. I know they still use movement screens. I think they may have moved slightly away from the SFMA, but that's why they called it functional because it wasn't just a passive process. It was very much like what you said, rolling the anterior thigh, seeing a difference in hip extension, and then doing the exercise after is core very much was a proponent of after the dry needling, you've got to reinforce it. So. That's their aspect. Okay. But need, needling in general involves taking a small monofilament needle that people would might be familiar with as an acupuncture needle, but it's oh, what, not an ac- acupuncture needle. It's, <laughs> it, I know, man. I mean, once you say that people, yeah, <laughs> we can get into that. I'll explain it. Uh, but using a small needle, it's one third the diameter of a piece of lead. And what it does is it goes into a taut, tight spot in the muscle, an irritable spot, you know, that spot when you press on you and you roll that's tight. And the needle goes in and maybe it, you, you the needle might move up and down within that muscle maybe four or five times and you get a twitch or a grab or a type of cramp sensation or maybe the clinician leaves it in for a few minutes. There's a few variations. And then after that tightness, that tone, that... Irritation can be decreased, and the person might have less pain. You know, for something like range of motion, if I'm checking hip extension and I've needled someone's anterior thigh, like their rec fem, for example, they might have improved hip extension after. Or let's say I'm screening a, um, let's say I'm screening an overhead squat, and someone is limited in the depth of their squat, and I've you know, needled both of their anterior thighs and they've increased the depth of their squat by 20, 30 degrees without compensating somewhere else. That, in kind of a nutshell, is what dry needling is.
0: No, that makes perfect sense, and that's why I kind of... Um you know, put it together in a basket with SMR techniques, uh, manual therapy, soft tissue treatments. But from your definition, it's safe to say that uh, you're not functionally dry needling people with gallbladder dysfunction or <laughs> curing diabetes, are you?
1: No, no sexual dysfunction, no fertility. <laughs> you know, in the basis of, ex- in the, the simplest of explanations when I explain it to someone, because I really want people... When they go back to their family, their friends, their office workers to be able to explain it, as I say, you had a tight, irritable spot. I put a needle in there. It changed something going on in there. And afterwards, it wasn't as irritable, and you were either in less pain or you could move better. That's it.
0: That is it. That is it. And it is done. This treatment is directed by somebody who in America has a doctorate level Education in the movement sciences. They are the utmost movement experts in the world.
1: Physical therapists are. I mean, they're. They're. I think hasn't the APTA moved towards calling themselves the movement specialists? Isn't that their yes. kind of? Yeah.
0: Yes. So it's not necessarily the tool that you're using. It is the methodology and the technique and the expertise of the practitioner and how they use the tool.
1: For sure, and that's where. I mean, if you want me to touch on it, and by no means am I a traditional Chinese acupuncture expert, but we are using it as a tool to elicit change in muscle, trigger points, irritable spots, you know, uh, maybe cause some type of decrease in chronic pain when you're dealing with, you know, increased nociception or, or pain from an area. But we're not treating those other aspects. We're not going into that realm, as you said, as, you know, fertility, gallbladder, digestion. We we don't touch that.
0: Yeah, that's important to understand, too, because physical therapists get a lot of kickback from even <laughs> the mention of dry needling because it really draws that line in the sand between, uh, quote-unquote, rehab practitioners, even though physical therapists, chiropractors, those are the true rehab practitioners. yeah, yep. um, You know, people just get so pissed off and it's usually the <laughs> acupuncturist. I had an article air on my site a couple months ago from Dr. James Spencer, who is one of the smartest rehab practitioners in the country, if not the world. He is so well versed in so many things and he is actually an acupuncturist and a chiropractor, not a physical therapist. But he wrote an article on my site, and he's certified by Kineticore in functional dry needling, and that is his preferred method of needling. Yep. And it was a very straightforward article that showed the differentiation between traditional Chinese acupuncture and functional dry needling, just as you mentioned, and then showed a couple of videos of how he uses it in pre and post test for alleviation of uh, you know tonic muscles. And we have gotten more kickback <laughs> on that single article than any T Nation article uh, I've ever written, any bodybuilding.com, wow. any breaking muscle. And that's that's really saying a lot because early on in my career, I used to get a lot of trolling, <laughs> like a lot. <laughs> I mean, multiple messages a day, multiple emails. Uh, but this most recent article that I did not even write, I actually published it on Yeah, We are getting phone call trollers we are getting phone calls every single day from acupuncturists all around the country it is unbelievable what lights up in somebody to go that far
1: yeah it's i mean you know we don't have that same territorial issue here in canada that i know that's going on in the states i i you know i i see my american counterparts talking about trying to retain the right to be able to dry needle in different states or gain the right. And, you know, I mean, uh, it's, you know, Jan Dahmerholt, uh, who I think was one of the main people who brought dry needling to North America, wrote a phenomenal article, I can't remember how many years ago, you'd be able to find it pretty easily, talking about the differences between dry needling and acupuncture. And, you know... It, what what really sticks out is, as you said, is we use it, it. It we use it very differently. It may be the same needle, but we use it with completely different purposes. Yes,
0: oh, <laughs> I can <could> go <laughs> I on know. and on with I this. I know you know, but I, it, it's I, one of those yes. things that I think that um, it has to be separated from the expertise of the type of practitioner. Like with anything else, just because um, somebody has. Any tool; it doesn't have to be a dry needle in their hand. It doesn't mean you have to use it the right, the the same way.
1: And that's just it. I mean, if it's an issue that I mean, we, I think we both hear the same issues. It's an issue that it's the same thing. Well, what I can tell you from cor- uh, the dry needling courses that I've done, where acupuncturists have attended, or one uh, course where I assisted, they come in and say how different it is than what they do.
0: It's essentially having a barbell on your back and doing something absolutely ridiculous with it, or squatting with 500 pounds with perfect form. Just because the barbell is on your back doesn't mean that the barbell is the thing that we should be debating.
1: No, I agree. And then, you know, the second point is I'm sure you've heard this too is that physical therapists are not trained enough in a weekend course to safely perform dry needling. Right. And as as you and I both know, and I suspect you're probably thinking something along the same lines is the amount of anatomy that we are taught in our programs, the amount of surface palpation, I think to some extent physical therapists are the best, I'm not saying better than acupuncturists, but are very well equipped to put a needle in someone.
0: For the purposes of remediating function and pain. I will 100% say that doctors of physical therapy and masters of physiotherapy up in Canada are more appropriately prepared to do that as opposed to acupuncturists. And I know this is just going to light people <laughs> up listening to this, but I'm pretty sure there's no acupuncturist listening uh, to this I, podcast.
1: I I, 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 There probably are not too many. There's, like, there's going to be
0: a couple outliers and, I, I know and after I'm, I said that. Yeah. And I'm more than
1: happy to have a discussion. I have no issues with an acupuncturist whatsoever. I mean, I work at a clinic, I should have said this, I work at a clinic that has a traditional Chinese medicine doctor that does acupuncture. And I've referred to her For issues that I don't treat as a functional dry needle. Right.
0: I do exactly the same thing. I have spent my entire career in the multidisciplinary model, and we have always had an acupuncturist within our referral system, and we always use them. So this isn't coming from somebody that doesn't know about acupuncture. I've actually been treated extensively with acupuncture in the past, you know, in 2012, 2013. Uh, I have spent weeks in acupuncture and I've had good success with it. But when it comes down to remediating movement patterns and trying to work on something that has to do with our scope of practice, I think it's absolutely appropriate for every person with a higher end education in movement sciences, anatomy, kinesiology, biomechanics to be able to use this tool.
1: I completely agree. And as you were saying that, I was thinking and also smiling again. I'm like, when either I come down your way and visit or you come up this way, I I think I know what uh, one of the videos that we're going to shoot will be. It's going to be me doing a pre-test of some range of motion, functional movement on you, me needling something and us doing a post-test.
0: Oh, there's no doubt about that. We're going to have to get that video we're gonna to have to do it. It's just yeah. gonna break the internet, probably.
1: It, it, it might. I mean, you know, the, the one of the one of me needling uh, Ryan DeBell's calves did pretty well. I think you put that in that great compilation article that you wrote. Yes, that's two right. weeks back. Yeah.
0: Oh, so one more thing on the dry needling. Yes. When you are using the technique, how much of your practice? Uh, is made up of dry needling. So what percentage of the patients that come in actually get this type of remediation done on them?
1: That is that is a tough question. Not because I don't know the answer and I get asked it on a regular basis, but because I think the number varies. But I will give a direct answer. I would say thirty to fifty percent of oh, wow, that's
0: high. Okay.
1: Yeah, you know, and but it's interesting. If I talk to a dry needling instructor and I recently talked to another dry needling instructor, you know, his belief was everyone could benefit from it.
0: But I. uh, Everyone could uh, benefit from chiropractic adjustments every week, too, though. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you love to stir it up, don't Uh, you? uh, Um, Yeah. You know, here's
1: what I'll say is, and I think you could appreciate this, is when I first learned it. I was using it a lot more, maybe on upwards of 70 to 80% of the people. And then I started experimenting with, you know what? Let's do a little bit of a wait and see approach. Let's get rid of the stimulus that's irritating the person, or as uh, Greg Lehman likes to say, calm shit down. <laughs> and let's maybe give them some strength stuff, or as he likes to say, build shit up. Yep. And when I did that, sometimes within, a, or a lot of times within a few appointments without any dry needling, the person I was able to discharge. So I think that my clinical reasoning has matured over the last, I guess I'm going on close to three years now of dry needling. So if I have someone who, you know, kind of fits my own internal treatment algorithm, you know, and and obviously it varies. Like an example would be I had a woman come in just this Saturday with plantar—with what she thought was plantar fasciitis. You know, I palpated and felt the bottom of her foot classically where people are sore right by, you know, that heel bone, the medial calcaneus, and she wasn't that sore there. But then I palpated her calves or medial gastroc, and guess what? Woo-hoo, was she tender there? Yeah. And trigger point referral of gastroc can go down and mimic plantar fasciitis. So day one on her, I needled it. And now before I needled it, I'm actually planning on writing a blog about this. She was hobbling, walking barefoot, and afterwards, within three minutes of her walking, gait was normal.
0: Oh, I'm gonna ask you a tough question here though. What do you what do you attribute that to? What what's the mechanism?
1: Oh, John. <laughs> what do I attribute that to? Um so you could say that it was a novel stimulus. It was yeah. just a different new stimulus into her nervous system, up to her, up to the brain, up to the central nervous system. And it was just so different that maybe her brain stopped paying attention to that pain and Maybe temporarily, we'll see if it lasts, she's coming back next week, but in previous experience it does last, that it was just enough to break that pain cycle, that chronicity of nociception from that area.
0: Yes, yes. I, I agree, but there's a lot of people out there uh, in the academic sector that will just discount the use of dry needling because there's no great conclusive research on it.
1: You no, know, and and you know you've probably looked at some of the stuff on trigger points as well. Is that you know tr- you know the old Travell and trigger points where they made all these charts that they're not as distinct these trigger points as people think, and when you get Different therapists to try to palpate trigger points when they the patient doesn't say anything, clinicians can't find the same point. Okay. But what I can say is when I ask a patient and I'm pressing and I look at their reactions and they tell me this spot here on their inside calf is more sore than lower down and I put a needle in it and I see a change and it's not my only form of treatment. I still gave this patient, you know, loading of her plantar fascia. I still gave her some, you know, sort of home rolling of the calf and I did some glute work as well to kind of help that posterior change. It wasn't the only thing that I
0: did but it it helps it helps in my clinical experience that's a really great point that you made though because a lot of the naysayers uh, you know based on their science of dry needling whether they're practitioners or not I've seen both Mm -hmm. will say that well it's uh, you know it's not conclusive that it helps anything but many of the studies don't have the complete model of rehabilitation, right? It doesn't go from, you know, subjective history to objective, to needling, to movement remediation, to loading, like none of that stuff happens.
1: No, it's zero or one because that's really the strength and also the weakness of a randomized control trial is that you really should ideally only be looking, well, you can look at one variable. Does it make a difference or not?
0: What are your thoughts on manual therapies, including dry needling, just being a placebo effect to the patient?
1: You know, it's funny you say that because I got in a, this discussion on Facebook. I actually had posted a, a dry needling of uh, upper traps in the Doctors of Physical Therapy group, and uh, a couple gentlemen decided to get in with me. <laughs> to get in. And uh, I like how you, you know? call them
0: gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I I also doubt they're listening to this podcast. Um, And uh, where is it going with this? Um, And um, I I said to them, I, I don't think I said, you know, I don't know if I said something along the lines of, hey, even if it is placebo, I don't care, you know, and they're like, what, you know, then you're implying placebo, then you're, you know, being uh, disingenuous to your patients. But I say, I'll I'll tell you what, I go, I'm providing a novel stimulus that is decreasing that patient's pain, either temporarily, hours, days, long term, but I'm reinforcing it With all the other things as well, improving movement, improving tissue tolerance. It is part of the process. And if I can do a form of manual therapy that gives them relief right off the bat, there is buy-in. And if there is buy-in and there is a good rehab clinician-patient relationship then I am going to have better results and that they know for sure. I mean that even the naysayers will be like, heck, you know, all of the results are based on the therapeutic relationship. I'm like, okay, then I'm employing that principle by (laughs) doing this form of manual therapy, getting buy-in and developing a very strong therapeutic relationship.
0: For sure. And what you said was the novel stimulus. And really, like, if you look at it, like, if nobody's ever been on a foam roller before, like, yeah, that's going to be a novel stimulus for them. That's probably, like, the first step. You know, if that doesn't work, then you kind of bump it up a little bit. You have another novel training stimulus to a higher extent, something like soft tissue work, ART, whatever you want to do. Then you bump it up a little bit if that doesn't have success. And then you get in. I mean dry needling pretty novel to people. Usually uh-huh. they haven't had that done. So that's just something that's like the ace that that practitioner <laughs> has up his sleeve. Yes. And he's like, if he chooses to use it and he intelligently prescribes that kind of remediation, that it can just be such a great tool to expedite the buy-in process, to make the patient feel good for a time where we can start to you know, just help the movement capacity out to the point where we can have some longevity to what we're doing with them.
1: Agreed. And, and even like some of the more moderate critics will say, hey, as long as a clinician is only using it as part of the time and they're still doing all these other variables, they don't have an issue with it. Not that I care if they have an issue or not, but I, I personally would also have an issue if, if there was a clinician Who was telling a patient to come back and every week was just doing a passive form of treatment? Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, and we could, I mean, that's a whole other discussion. Yeah. But that's not how I practice. That's not how you practice. And, you know, I think that if some of these critics were to see the way we practice and see how the manual therapy is a small portion, that they're like, oh, I see. This actually helps your entire rehab process. I'm like, yes, yes, it does. It, 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 it's part of it, but not all of it.
0: That is such a great point. And I'm going to do a little bit of a, a segue here. But when I was consulting for uh, Team China, their Olympic committee, they all had team doctors that worked with every single Olympic team. They had multiple team doctors. They were all versed in chiropractic adjustment, uh, acupuncture, and they, they were really good. They had great educations behind them. And even those guys didn't dry needle anyone. They didn't put acupuncture needles into everyone. It was like 8 to 10% of the athletes that walked in. Really? And I saw a majority of the needling that was happening was having a systemic effect after training or after competition. So they were using it as a recovery mechanism.
1: Yeah, and you know, that's – I mean that's – I've been exploring with that as well. I haven't seen, and maybe you have, I haven't seen any good papers. I don't know if there are. I haven't either. You know, other than what I can say is, you know, from some of the instructors of the courses, they talk about how they implement dry needling to aid in recovery. I mean, that's such a broad term. People say, well, what's it doing? You know, is it decreasing inflammatory markers? Is it reducing tone is it um once again creating a novel stimulus so the athlete feels more refreshed feels better for the next training session i'm not sure i suspect that's probably how it's being used for recovery but um that i think is going to be i would i suspect we're going to see some paper out on that in the next couple years
0: well, I hope so because um you know that's something personally that I think is very very effective that is being used and nobody's really talking about it quite yet. And when it comes to professional athletes, this is the last thing that we're going to talk about on dry needling here, but one of my biggest arguments on dry needling is that everyone who's, you know, speaking out against this practice, like the best athletes in the world, NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, professional soccer, I would say 85% of these teams have a practitioner on staff that is using dry needling.
1: For sure. And you know, while I don't work with these professional athletes, I, I know yourself you do and I know um, a mutual friend of ours Dr. Erson Religioso does who's done some work for uh, and with an NFL team yep. is these teams are always looking to better performance. They if they are not going to waste their time on something if it is not improving their athletes' abilities, they just they, – they won't do it.
0: If you have a $20 million athlete on your table and you are the practitioner, you don't think that you're going to give them the best that you have to offer in your therapeutic arsenal? absolutely (laughs) i mean that's a powerful (laughs) powerful thing and Uh i'll always go back to what are the best in the world doing the people that if they don't have results they're fired the next day what are they
1: doing for sure i mean then we
0: can have the sprinkle down effect into the general population yeah well said (laughs) (laughs) i mean i don't know what else to say after that yeah we uh... we beat the dry needling like a dead (laughs) horse right here But, you know, it's funny that you brought up uh, Dr. Ryan DeBell before because uh, I was just at his workshop, the Movement Fix workshop up in Chicago over the weekend. And I was really impressed by what he brought to the table. But it is something that we all are kind of thinking along the same lines, the chiropractors, the physical therapists, the really intelligent strength coaches that do a lot of study. You know, everyone's kind of preaching the same stuff. And it seems to be the outliers that try to rip this uh, generally accepted stuff down. You know, dry needling is just another great example.
1: I, I would agree. And, you know, I'm glad you brought up, Ryan, because this is, uh, i been waiting to give sort of some kudos to you. Is, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm scrolling through my news feed. I think it was last week. And I see uh, a picture of Ryan that catches my eye, a before after, and I see it posted on your page. And it's Ryan Nebel on your functional hypertrophy program. And I'm like, holy smokes. I go, this is his, but it wasn't even his before after. He's only
0: he was, was on it 16 days when
1: those pictures yeah. were taken. Oh my God! I actually, because I actually sent him a text. And I was like,
0: <laughs> "What? What are you doing? Yeah, what does he have you doing? Yeah, right." <laughs> oh my
1: God! I mean, you you were you were uh, what's it called? Uh, kind enough to share your program with me, so I looked through it, and obviously, I mean. The thing is a beast. It's spectacular. The amount of information you put in there, and uh, I, what I also like, which I'm sure you're going to chuckle at, is uh, you know I make a comment, and I think was it you or Ryan that said when are you what jason shane when are you going to start
0: yeah that was me as oh, soon that as you, you made that comment i was like all right i know he's interested let's and, start it up and, oh and then i'm like
1: well you know i'm just kind of revamping my gym and ryan's like i've seen your gym you can start
0: right now <laughs> it's the peer pressure you know the peer pressure uh-huh. to get jacked and functional i guess
1: absolutely and i said i'm like i said We're actually moving my gym to a quote unquote shed in the backyard. And when I say shed, it's actually like this high end type of shed. It's going to have, you know, four glass sliding doors and uh, it's going to be my uh, sort of oasis out in the backyard. But that'll be in there in the next few months here. I will do. I'll commit here. I am going to do your program once that thing is uh, done.
0: You have no excuse anymore, you're I know. on the I'm, record on Strength I'm, I'm on
1: the record, I'll put the before afters, I, uh, I, 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 I don't want to say that mine are going to be better than Ryan's because knowing how competitive <laughs> that guy is, yeah. he'll just work out even harder now if he hears me say that.
0: It's really funny, so a uh, little bit of background on me on social media is I have never once put up a before and after of any of our clients, even though we worked with a lot of clients on the online sector. Mm -hmm. So it's been years and I've never done a side by side ever. And I wake up a couple weeks ago and I look at my phone and Ryan just like texted me that side by side picture. So I wake up. It's the first thing I see in the morning. I'm like, Oh my (laughs) God. Like, Oh, Oh. So I jump right on my computer. I was like, Ryan, can I use this you know, I need to put this out there like I've of never course. put one out before yeah and it was so good that people thought it was fake <laughs> that's how good it was and Ryan literally had to go on the thread that had a couple hundred likes on it it was, it was really? a really crazy thread
1: before after holy smokes
0: and he gets on there and he does screenshots of like his album on the iPhone right so yeah. it shows like it yes. shows that it's unedited it shows yes, what yes, time yes. it was taken and all of that stuff and people are just like uh whoa but it's wow. it's good to understand that not everyone's going to be able to do that. Um, you know, no. everyone's going to be a little bit different. N course. equals one, like you yes. said. Yeah. But it just goes to show if you put in um, some time, some effort, and you know, work with somebody that has your back and is going to customize something for you, that you know, it really takes the pressure off uh, mentally for you. And you just go in and you execute and it's a lot easier. And that's the reason why we have like 30 high-end coaches currently on FHT. But, uh, you know, not not to plug my own stuff here, but we have a lot of good people on there.
1: But, but I mean, you know, Ryan could program his own thing. I could program my own. But, man, is it going to be a lot easier when it takes the thinking out of it away from me and I can just follow a program that you've laid out.
0: It's always hardest to be your own coach. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh it yeah. It is
0: very, very hard because you're always going to be biased in what you want to do. And it's the same thing in physical therapy. If you get injured, the last thing you want to be doing is doing your own rehab program.
1: For sure. I When I've been injured as a physical therapist, I go see another physical therapist.
0: You have to. You can't be objective with yourself because no. I've seen it be, I mean, I'm usually not hurt. But, you know, in the times that I have been, Uh, it takes me a lot of time to just turn off my brain and go see somebody because (laughs) I know I'm just not going to be objective about it.
1: No, you can't. You can't. And, And it's funny. If you're like myself, when you go see someone, you're probably spouting off all the things that you think it is. So it might be this, it might be this, it might be this. Okay, maybe I should just shut up and let you do your assessment. Yeah,
0: I, I just play stupid. Like I don't know anything. I'm like, I don't know. My leg hurts. <laughs> yeah. Well said. Well said. Now, Jason, where can people find more from you, uh, your videos, your articles, uh, you on social media, all of that stuff?
1: Perfect. Well, best place to follow me right now is through my Facebook page, which is Shane Physiotherapy. I'm just in the process of Revamping my website, which you can go to as well, which is shanephysiotherapy.ca. And I do plan on coming out with a free ebook on lower back pain and sort of uh, some things you can do to hopefully decrease the incidence of it. And ideally, that'll be out in the next couple
0: months. Oh, I can't wait till that's out. Uh, that's definitely a resource that I'm going to be sharing with all of my clients here in Madison, but also online. And I should also say I'm just in the
1: process and it should launch. We've actually already recorded a few episodes with uh, Dr. Urson religioso and myself. We've actually started recording our own podcast. That's right.
0: Yes. What is that podcast? What's the title of that on iTunes?
1: The title is going to be Untold Physio Stories. And we ask clinicians to share their, some of their success and failure stories that they've had in business and practice and the the key point because people have been asking for this is they're not going to be any longer than 10 minute long podcast
0: we've been on here an hour
1: i know (laughs) that's like six of our episodes man
0: that that's going to be awesome how many episodes do you have out right now
1: you know what? We're, we actually have almost the entire first season recorded Wow! and we're going to launch it uh, kind of like the way Netflix does the entire first season. So if people want to binge listen to our untold physio stories, they'll be able to.
0: Oh, I can't wait. As soon as that releases, I'm literally just going to keep it uh, going through the entire thing until I'm done with it. Because Thanks. with you and Urson both on the show and 10-minute segments, it has to be like the best of the best.
1: We, we, got, we got some good stories. There is one that I am pretty sure I'm going to get a message from you once you're done listening to going, did that really happen?
0: <laughs> I can't wait, man. Man, I appreciate you coming on the podcast today. And uh, the listeners definitely were entertained from this conversation about, you know, obviously your background is that hybrid coach and therapist, but also a little bit of the conversation with dry needling as well. So I appreciate your time.
1: It's been my absolute pleasure, pleasure and thanks for having me on. And and I, you know, one thing I've been meaning to say is Before I knew you, we joked about this beforehand. I was mispronouncing your last name. You were. For all the listeners out there, because I think people read your last name the same way I do. How's it said again? Russin. There we go. Perfect. It's not Russin, everyone. It's Russin. Russin.
0: (laughs) That's why every video I shoot, and I say it about 27 times (gasps) before every Strength Doc podcast, Russin. Russin. But hey, Maybe a couple of years from now, we won't have this problem anymore. But
1: I I, 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 look forward to that.
0: <laughs> All right, guys, another great episode of Strength Doc Podcast with my guest Jason Shane. And if you liked what you heard on this podcast, head over to iTunes, hit us up with a five-star review. This definitely helps to get the charts up and get us having the best guests on in the industry like Jason and also if you were intrigued by the talk of my FHT program again head over to www.drjohnrusson.com forward slash FHT program check out the testimonials the features of the program you might even see Ryan DeBell's shirtless photo on there and just let me know if you have any questions my direct email is on there and also on the contact form on the site until next time, guys, I'm Dr. John Russin with the Strength Doc Podcast, hosted by UpDoc Media.